Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for football, hockey, and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 65 65- 1-436-1120 or visit ticketkingonline.com For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings we present Bonus Chatter Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered and uninterrupted This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Derek Wetmore once again. Derek, great to have you back. Oh my gosh, it's so good to be back, Andrew. You don't need to feign it. I could just tell, I could just tell he's faking it. I was but just following your cue. I could tell you were faking it, so here we are. Well, on this episode of the Purple Podcast, we're going to talk about life and expectations in the 8-4 and four Minnesota Vikings. And how it feels more like a 4-8 and eight team. But really the expectations for this team coming in, we're kind of figuring out, as Denny Green once said, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> we're going to discuss that and the former former team that Dennis Green used to coach in the Arizona Cardinals. The Vikings are traveling to Arizona to play them on Thursday night. Our expectations for this game and obviously for this season for the Vikings and how that's changed over the course of a year. The depleted Vikings probably going to be without Anthony Barr, Harrison Smith, Linval Joseph, how they plan to fill those gaps. Does Adrian Peterson have a point in terms of him calling for more uh, touches when they're down in games? We're going to basically do a point, counterpoint on that, and then get to the not-so-bulletproof Teddy Bridgewater. Derek, let's start off right away with expectations for this Vikings team. They're 8-4. Yeah. and four. They're still in control of their own destiny, technically. I love that term. That's another cliche you can shoot, yeah, was, shoot I, holes I'm, into. I'm glad you stopped because you knew that's where I was I'm just used to it now with can, you. Control your own destiny. That I, mean, I guess it depends on your perspective on life, like why, why we're all here and what we're all doing. It only took us 90 seconds to just veer right into a Needed a to cliche, happen. Needed to happen. <laughs> I drop them every, every 90 seconds, so I guess it fits. Yep. They do control their own path in there terms of if they keep their winning. Their own outcome as to whether or not they're performing in the playoffs. If they went out beat go. the Green Bay Packers, they are the NFC North champions, and they are hosting a playoff that's, game. I'll say it. That's not as sexy of a catchphrase, but it is a lot more accurate to what we're trying it to It is, because isn't 
destiny inherently something you don't control? Right. It like, depends what you think about fate. Like, is there such thing as predetermined fate? Or like, do you control sort of your end destination here on this journey that we're calling life? And frankly, it, it depends which side of that path you lie on. But I think what you're trying to get at is that if the Vikings win every game, they'll be the NFC North champions hosting a playoff game. Exactly, but some people feel there's already a predetermined destiny for Thursday night's game when they sure. face the number one Arizona That's, Cardinals I offense. To They're facing a team that is red hot, won six straight. The Cardinals are 10-2. and two. This is a, a situation where the Vikings have everything stacked against them, not only yeah. injuries on defense. They don't win primetime games. They have a seven-straight losing streak on Monday Night Football. They're 1-4 and four in their last Thursday night games. This team does not play well under the lights, and they're not only that, they're going to be without three of their top playmakers on defense against Carson Palmer, who is an MVP candidate. Counterpoint, we're all being very fatalistic about this thing, and certainly the odds makers are doing the same thing. Is there any chance the Vikings win this game? Well, I think the Cardinals are eight-point favorites, uh, which sounds about right. Um, I say yes, there is obviously a chance, because who would have thought the Philadelphia Eagles would beat the Patriots last week when the Patriots were something like 14-point favorites? Sure. So I'd say the NFL is always a league where when you think you know, I'm sure sports in general, when you think you know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. You you think, oh, it's a lock, it's going to, you know, obviously the Vikings are going to get drubbed. Well, you don't necessarily know that. With that being said, I would put the money on on giving the Cardinals eight points. Sure. <laughs> this yeah. one, no, I think that's fair. <laughs> let me let me say my and this isn't football analysis; is just kind of bigger picture. I, I think with very few exceptions, there are several exceptions, but with very few exceptions, Thursday night games this year have been ugly football. Right? They normally are. Yeah, it, just every not, year, not yep. entertaining. It's yep. a short week. Most of the players don't get. All of, or most of the teams don't get all of their players back health-wise. Performing in an NFL game is difficult enough when you're doing it once every once a week and you get six days to rest and sort of work out and, and get ready again. When you've got three days to do that in between, it's a nightmare. And I think it was Larry Fitzgerald said on the conference call this week, if I read correctly, that some teams, you just know, they don't get the players back Thursday who might have played on Sunday if the game were on Sunday? Absolutely, and the Vikings are probably one of those teams. Having sure. Being without Linval Joseph, who's dealing with a foot injury, Anthony Barr, re-aggravated groin. But you're right. Players hate Thursday night games. Yeah, no, and, and Larry Fitzgerald said that. Reasonably so. I, I can see why you would. And let me say the, the reason that I think the Vikings could win this game before we finish the rest of the podcast, pretty much all fatalistic it sounds, uh, <laughs> is that... The Vikings are probably a little bit better equipped to win ugly football games, given that they have Adrian Peterson. I just think Carson Palmer, almost MVP caliber season. Who knows? Things might change here the next couple of weeks. He might become one of the top candidates for sure if he's not already. But I'm not trying to say that like passing is not conducive to winning ugly games, because you certainly can do that. If Carson Palmer just throws four touchdowns and they have an otherwise ugly game, well, the Cardinals are probably going to win because the Vikings ain't scoring 28 points. Nope. But if it becomes an ugly game, low-scoring slugfest, uh, maybe. You're saying there's a chance. You're asking a lot from a defense that might be starting Sean Prater at safety, Anthony Harrison, undrafted kid out of Virginia this year. They're going to be without Harrison Smith, who's dealing with uh, knee and hamstring problems. That's not official yet, but he hasn't practiced all week, yeah. and he that's, that's pretty obvious for a team that is looking – no one's going to say they're looking beyond this game, but they absolutely have to when you're looking at the three games you have after this. Yep. They have a 10-day rest period after this. 
it's smart, in my opinion, to sit some of these players who are going to be keys to the long run here. Yeah. Tough test for sure. Especially when this isn't a game that you have a ton of faith in and thinking, oh, yeah, with these guys, that'd make all the difference. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. So expectations for this game are obviously down. No sure. one's expecting them to go in there and win in Arizona. Uh, neither Vegas isn't, and neither local market is. But the expectations, Derek, for this season – we're figuring out when they went on that five game streak, they were eight and three. It would have been at one point. Mm-hmm. Everyone's thinking, Oh yeah, they could beat the Packers at home, taking control of the NFC, grow up in front of our eyes. That's what they need to do. And they didn't, uh, they fell apart. They shot themselves in the foot, whatever you want to say, shot themselves in the foot. That's I'm another stop you right there because yeah. I have a buddy who actually did that. Plaxico and Burris? No, oh. no, he shot himself in the leg. I thought, right? you, were, I thought you were about just to, to, to drop that you were friends <laughs> no. with Plaxico Burris. I was Pla- like, Whoa. Plax and me were at a New York nightclub, <laughs> and I told him, "Don't wear your sweatpants to the nightclub." I also told him, "Don't bring your gun into the nightclub." Don't strap your gat. He didn't listen, and you know we're not really as tight anymore. No, I have a buddy who it was a BB gun, so like it's not as big of a deal. Oh, give me a break. That's I know, nothing. I know, but I'm still I'm just saying like he was playing he was playing around and he was barefoot, which also you're kind of dumb for that, bud. And this is in like 8th or ninth grade. So we're playing around with a BB gun was like, "Oh, wow. Whoa. You're so dangerous and like James Bond." Yeah, you take yeah. risks, Mr. <laughs> Goldeneye. And uh yeah, the, one of those risks was accidentally firing it in the direction of his foot, made contact. Uh he was out for about a week. I had a friend who was actually shot himself with a real gun in the foot. No um yes, it was we were like in 7th grade. This was out okay. when I when I lived in California yeah. and uh pheasant hunting is okay. a big thing out oh, there. Oh, sure. And he's resting a shotgun on his boot while waiting, and the safety was not on. Woof. And somehow accidentally <laughs> oh, pulled it. And he was like a seventh grader, just so, a young kid. So how do you then, in good faith and with a clean conscience, use the phrase, shot themselves in the foot, mm. not feel a little bit a tinge of guilt for that? Yeah, I don't. I, I, don't, I, just, I guess I don't have feelings. I don't know. That might I don't know. be it. <laughs> but the expectations, Mr. Wetmore, for yes. the season to get back on track here, sure. which is uh, back on the rails. Nobody expected this team. They overachieved, in my opinion, to get to 8-3. and three. They won a lot of ugly games. That yeah. five-game winning streak was great, but it was against teams at the right times. It was against sure. Detroit when they were reeling, Kansas City when they had just lost Jamal Charles. Um, we've seen now the St. Louis Rams have completely unraveled in the last few games. Didn't look like it um, at the time. That was looking like no, a No, exactly, exactly. All these games at the time, you looked at the records and thought, okay, and then the Raiders obviously are kind of that middling team we thought they were as well. Sure. The Vikings have played in the last three weeks two playoff teams, mm-hmm. two bona fide playoff teams in the Seahawks and Packers, and they've gotten blown out in both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've shown that they are not grown up to the point where they can win these kind of big stage games. You saw it even in the first week in San Francisco. Um, so I think people need to step off the ledge when it comes to this team and realize they are who we thought they were, as Denny Green once said. And he was he was coaching the Cardinals at the he time. Was he was coaching that, the right? Cardinals at the time as well, and I believe the, it was against the Bears. Yeah, the afterward. Bears dynasty yeah. with Erlacher and Lovey. And, uh, yeah, if you want to crown them. I'm not crowning the Minnesota Vikings. I'm saying, look, Teddy Bridgewater's a second-year quarterback who has uh, got the yips right. right now. Are you crowning the Cardinals? They oh speaking of I need to gloat they were my Super Bowl pick with the Patriots before the season but when you go but when you go to that post on 1500ESPN.com that has my five NFL predictions before the season started don't look at who I picked at comeback player of the year okay. <laughs> 
Because right under the Super Bowl, I said Sam Bradford was going to be comeback player of the year. Okay, well, if I'm being honest, oh. that would have been nice had that happened because I took the Philadelphia Eagles to go to the Super oh, Bowl. Oh, no. I just went out there on a ledge, and I said, i got to pick a team. God. I'm not seeing popularly picked. And, we were uh, drinking the Chip Kelly Kool-Aid. Unfortunately, huh? Bradford did us both in a little bit with that. So, yeah. Whatever. Well. I picked the Cardinals to go to the Super Bowl because I thought they were the one of the most well-rounded teams in the NFL before this season. I did not expect, and I don't think anybody expected, Carson Palmer to play the kind of football he's yeah. playing right now. He's on fire. Larry Fitzgerald is obviously playing some of his best football of his career, motioning into the slot now for most of his stuff, and he's going to present a very tough matchup for Captain Munnellin, and we'll get to Captain a little bit on where we at with him uh, in his seventh season and really entering a contract year next year. But the expectations for this team, first and foremost, people need to step off the ledge because this team is not going to be a team that's going to challenge a lot of the best teams in the NFL. They are not one of the best teams in the NFL, and they've shown that when yeah. they lose a couple key pieces on defense, they unravel and fall apart. Not when they're not healthy. Exactly. When they lose a couple pieces on right. defense, the thing is their depth is not as good as, exactly. as it was perceived to be. And it also, is in certain spots. It is not at linebacker or safety, as sure. you find out. No, 100% agree. And trading a starting caliber linebacker in the middle of the season probably didn't help Richard Spielman. Nah. Is it Richard or is Rick his full name? I believe it's just Rick. Because I've never actually heard anyone call him Richard Spielman, and that sounded really weird coming out I of I believe my mouth. it's just Rick. Okay. Yeah. Rick trading a but no we're not on first name basis with mr spielman either but you're that's right. true i'm also not <laughs> calling him mr spielman um uh but so i would say that uh trading that didn't help and the one thing that you know we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about because frankly what's the point in talking about it but losing phil lodeholt and john sullivan is something that just like gets kind of swept under the rug with his team their offensive line is bad like we no, see not that, just bad they're terrible we see that every week no they're one of the worst in the NFL. i think it's a big reason that teddy bridgewater's taking a step back yep. there's probably some other things involved in that as well but uh you know we say that they're not competing with some of the best teams you kind of do wonder in an in some parallel universe where John Sullivan has a healthy back and Phil Lodeholt plays a full season, um, this team maybe looks a little bit different from Teddy Bridgewater to Adrian Peterson. The whole offense maybe can score a couple of points every once in a while, which would be a novel concept. Uh, did you know that the Vikings, you had sent me a couple notes on passing for a story that I was writing on the Vikings this week, and I looked up their passing numbers. Second to last in the NFL in passing behind only the St. Louis Rams, and the St. Louis Rams fired their offensive coordinator Nick on Monday. Foles. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's not good. Fewest passing touchdowns, they're tied with the Rams. Second fewest passing yards per game, 179 to 178 for St. Louis. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater as many picks as touchdowns. It's just No matter how you cut pretty. it, Teddy Bridgewater's quarterback rating is 28th in the NFL. His passing touchdowns are tied for Matt Hasselbeck, who's a 40-year-old starting for the Indianapolis Colts. And hasn't started the full season. We could do an entire podcast on statistics of why their passing offense yeah, is terrible. And while, I, while I'm bringing up the expectations and I sound like a Viking apologist, just Norv Turner, this offense deserves a ton of blame for <clears throat> the way they've had to claw games back. That yeah. five-game win streak was not pretty by any means. Right. A lot of it include come-from-behind come wins overtime against St. Louis, uh, last minute against Chicago, and as we've seen with the Chicago Bears, they are also who we thought they were, which is terrible. This Vikings team is one-sided on defense, and when they're not healthy, they are completely taken apart, as we saw against the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. 
this is a group that is defense and running the football, and when they are stripped of both, as you saw against Seattle, they are one of the worst teams because they have to lean on a passing attack that is just not getting it done. Teddy Bridgewater looks lost uh, behind an offensive line that's terrible and in a system that is asking him to do many different things. And I think this is a situation here in Arizona where they are being thrown to the wolves at some point. Let's pivot, though, and talk about the Cardinals. The Cardinals have the number one passing or number one offense overall, points, yards in the NFL. Palmer MVP, MVP candidate Larry Fitzgerald, still one of the best receivers in the NFL. They have the number four defense in both yards and points as well. They are well rounded as it comes. Yeah. And the Vikings, as we just said, are not well rounded. Right. That's why you get eight points in Vegas. That's why you get all this the sky is falling, woe is us. We're eight and four, but it feels like four and eight here in Minnesota. They probably will be 8-5 and five after Thursday. Sure, yeah, that's fair to say. But then they have 10 days off before they host the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. So the expectations for this week are, in my opinion, take the L, get them out healthy. I, I joked about it on the radio with Judd this week, but it might not be much of a joke. Taylor Heineke, let's see what you got, yeah, kid. This is Go chance, out there. Bud. And someone said to me, like, what about Sean Hill? I mean, Sean Hill's not your future, if, if, and, and neither is Taylor Heineke. But Taylor Heineke might be your future backup, and sure. you want to find that out. Yeah, Taylor, sure. go, go see what you got, kid. Yeah. Let him out there, because Teddy Bridgewater right now is taking so much of a beating. Mm-hmm. And in all seriousness, Teddy Bridgewater is going to start this game. They're going to try and get something out of a passing attack that just has not gotten anything done. But this could be a situation like Sunday where they pull Teddy Bridgewater before the game is over because – it gets out of hand. Yeah, maybe. And this Cardinals defense is one of the best in the NFL in terms of taking the ball away. They have 22 takeaways, which ranks about fifth in the NFL, uh, fifth or seventh, somewhere in there. I can't remember the exact numbers. But they are really opportunistic. And if Teddy Bridgewater has an off throw like he had against the mm-hmm. uh, Seattle Seahawks, which really was the only real off throw. The Earl Thomas pick. Yeah, yeah, it was really the only off throw he had all day, and they took they took advantage of it. Their warts are going to be exposed even more, and so are obviously the expectations going into this one is that they are going to get drubbed. Well, they're also, correct me if I'm wrong here, they're also pretty good at stopping the run. And oh, they're fourth. I, yeah, they're fourth in the NFL stopping the run. They're holding teams to around 90 yards per, per game. So rushing. I've got two thoughts on that, and I want to know your opinion. I think there's this paradox of run-stopping numbers, and the Vikings had it for years with Fat Pat and Kevin Williams in the middle of their defensive line when, yes, they were terrific at stopping the run mm-hmm. they were so good at stopping the run teams didn't run so they're they were terrible against the pass because teams were passing they just throw all you know, 40 50 yeah. times a game and suddenly your numbers on uh, your counting numbers not necessarily a rate basis but your counting numbers like yards allowed passing touchdowns allowed all those kinds of things suddenly started looking worse because teams were passing so much more i wonder if something similar is going on with the cardinals this year in that they're pretty good at stopping the run so teams try to pass but also Carson Palmer gets them out to so many leads that teams just aren't feeling comfortable running when they're down in games. Your intuition is remarkable, Derek Whitmore. Hey. The Arizona Cardinals are the second least run on team in the NFL. Well, you know, I, I didn't know that, but I'm glad to hear it corroborates my opinion. I, I guess that's why they pay me the big bucks to do a football podcast once a week. Now that's a good pivot into Adrian Peterson, and does he have a point? Because he also makes the big bucks? Because he also makes the big Do bucks, not. and he's probably going to... No, 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 I was going to say, he's probably also going to be the number one running back in oh. terms of testing this Arizona Cardinals would, defense, okay. because they're going to feed Adrian Peterson sure. after he complained again yep, about yep. a lack of players. I was going to say, you can, you can talk about us both being petulant... Um, problem children, but you can't compare our salaries. Like that's where I draw the line. <laughs> that's where I draw the line. Yes, I will. Want, if I'm not getting enough reps on the Purple Podcast, I will let you know. I will air my grievances on Twitter. But 
I stop at the what is it? Twelve point. What what is he making this year? Twelve point five million. Uh, Twelve million. No 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 no. Because I thought he had some bonuses in there that he was. He was thirteen million. More than that. It's eleven million base salary. He got a two million dollar roster bonus at the start of training camp. <laughs> you it's, see, thir- it's thirteen million, and he's the highest paid running back by like five million in the NFL. I'd settle for just the roster bonus. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> you, are you listening, Stanley Hubbard? <laughs> we would settle for just a two million dollar roster bonus. <laughs> <sighs> You're going to be waiting for a long time. <laughs> waiting Probably. for a long time. Probably. Does Adrian Peterson have a point, Derek Wetmore, in terms of his complaining? Now, I'll set the stage on that question because... Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that sounded rhetorical. This, Yes, I'll set the stage on that question because he's a running back who has not been involved in their passing sets. Three right. wide, it's Jarek McKinnon, it's Matt Asiata. It's mm-hmm. more well-rounded, but mm-hmm. very, very less talented running backs. Sure. In the two who can pass block, can catch the football, uh, Adrian cannot do those things. And so if Adrian wants to get on the field more, a lot of it really is on him. Mm-hmm. And for him to expect the Vikings down 21 nothing at halftime to the Seattle Seahawks to say, screw it, we're doing two tight end fullback, running the football. We're burn gonna, clock, We're going to burn clock yeah. because we're down three scores. <laughs> right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And this, this passing attack is clearly not good enough, not anywhere where it needs to be to be one-dimensional on the opposite side where a great Seattle defense just knows Teddy Bridgewater is going to drop back and throw the football because yeah. you saw how that turns out. Yeah. Career-low 118 yards for Teddy Bridgewater. Adrian, there's a message the coaching staff could send to him and saying, look, if you want to get on the field, you need to do these things better, but you don't teach. Now, here's another cliche. You don't teach an old dog new tricks. Old dog new tricks. He's not going to learn it, and they've seen that. And, look, they tried to fit him into the offense that they wanted for Teddy Bridgewater, and yeah. you saw how that turned out in San Francisco. You saw how they tried to eventually wean the shotgun carries off in September, and they tried to stick to them a little bit. It just never worked out. That's right. not who Adrian Peterson is. That's not who he, he's ever been, mm-hmm. and he's not going to change. And so the question is, is can Teddy Bridgewater be a seven-step play-action drop-back quarterback that they need in this offense or not? And right now he has not been. And, and that might be unfair of a 23-year-old quarterback to ask that, but Peterson's, Peterson has a point in the sense that he is the only guy that can break a game for them. But he doesn't have a point because he's not the guy that's going to be able to fit into the offense they want for their second-year quarterback, who is the future of this team beyond Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Uh, first, I've got a question for you on old dogs, and then I'll ask you a question about <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater and seven-step drops. Have you ever had an old dog? Yeah. Uh, oh, like, yeah. So, of course. So you, yeah. have, you have a dog, and as it ages. Yep. I've always thought that was a funny phrase because... You actually can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I've had old dogs too, but I don't think it has anything to do with their age. Like, we had a yellow lab when I was growing up as a kid, and I don't think it's anything with her brain that started to be like, okay, well, I'm four now in people years, so my time for having learned tricks is well past. That's not an old dog. Old dog's like eight, nine, ten. You're right. Four is like growing up. Like four, four is, is 28 no, years old. Four right? is no longer Dog a puppy. Years? Yeah. Four is no You're longer right. a puppy. 28 is the new 48, Andrew. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes me feel great. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, only, my only thought is that it's like some kind of hard wiring that people thought like you can't teach. There are some dogs that you can't teach tricks. They're just I think it's like more not so that willing young, to. Young dogs are much more teachable than it's like what they you say with people. Like if you want to learn a new, learn a new language, you should do it when you're younger as opposed to older. I don't agree with that. Really? I think that 
that is a cop out for old people who don't want to learn a new language. I think that your brain me, is always ready. Yeah, yes. Me. Like <laughs> I don't want to learn Spanish, so no. I'm not going to. I think if you put in the same time that a uh, middle schooler put in, you would learn language at maybe even. But you a know what? Rate. A middle schooler doesn't have a damn job. That's get right. a job, kid. That's right. Host a podcast. God, get a job. Yeah, you're right. I suppose people listening go, "You guys don't have jobs." Either. My, <laughs> my question. <laughs> I, I do have a real question for you that has to do with football. Not that old canines aren't real questions. Hey, this is Andrew Kramer with the Purple Podcast. I just want to thank you guys for checking us out every week. And if you like the podcast, please go check us out on iTunes. Leave a review. Four or five stars would be appreciated. But if you don't like Derek Wetmore's hot football takes or you think Judd Zolgad's a little too negative, you can go ahead and give us a one-star rating if you feel so inclined. But those reviews are going to help us spread the word of the Purple Podcast, the best Minnesota Vikings analysis in town. Now, back to the podcast. Teddy Bridgewater and Seven Step Drops. Mike Zimmer's talked about it the past couple weeks, I want to say, where he's like, you know, the fact that he's taking so many hits, the fact that he's taking so many sacks, the protection issues, you can't just look at the offensive line and say, well, this is a bad offensive line. They're not protecting. I would counter by saying, like, yes, it is a bad offensive line. But to his point, he's saying that some of it's on Bridgewater. And he's, I think he's saying that without saying it, that – some of those seven-step drops, and he, in fact, he even said this two weeks ago. We design plays, seven-step drops and a hitch, and it needs to be out. The ball needs to go out where it's going. You can't going. just sit there and pat the ball, meaning hitch is just sitting there kind of the pat right, one, do pat the little two. where you're yeah. kind of developing the momentum for the football. Where it's like half a pump fake, but it's not. Peyton yeah. Manning is, does half hitches all the time, yeah, I see. Absolutely. And yeah. so, okay, Teddy Bridgewater getting back and doing seven steps and two and three hitches where you're tapping the football like you're playing in the front yard on Thanksgiving with your family when it's like 12 Mississippi for the rush count. And Grandma never gets down there and catches the football because no, she's sitting there running a 7.540. <laughs> it's like, God, Luckily, grandma. your Uncle Jim's going to be a That's little... That's actually a pretty fast 40 for a grandma. Yeah, no doubt. I need to be. I need to praise my athletic grandma. He is going to be a little bit lenient on the 12 Mississippi, and he's not going to come after you as quickly, so you've got mm-hmm. time to pat the football. Teddy Bridgewater does not get that leniency against right. NFL defensive and ends. That's, and that's, in my opinion, where Norv Turner deserves some criticism in trying to stick to a scheme that clearly this offensive line is not built for, nor sure. is your quarterback necessarily built for. But then you have to say, well, at the beginning of the year, he did want to run what Teddy Bridgewater's built for. He wanted to run the spread shotgun. He wanted to get Teddy Bridgewater away from that line, but that's not what Adrian Peterson fits. So what do they do? They swung back to Adrian. Jekyll and Hyde. And you're going to get then Teddy struggling. One of them is going to struggle in what they want to do. It's either going to be – and that brings it up to what Judd and I have been talking about for weeks and that they cannot marry the two concepts between what Teddy does well and what Adrian does well. And that might take an entire offseason to just scrap the plan and find something else out, or it might mean that Teddy Bridgewater has to succeed beyond Adrian Peterson mm. because right now Adrian Peterson is not a dual threat enough running back to succeed in what Norv Turner wants to do. Look back at the running backs that uh, Norv Turner has succeeded with. It's either been obviously with a great quarterback in Troy Aikman or Phillip Rivers, but it's also been with running backs that can do both. Emmett Smith, LaDainian Tomlinson. Uh, I think the one running back you could say is not really good at doing both that he had was Frank Gore for one year in 2006 sure. when he was in San Francisco. But outside of that, the running backs have succeeded with Norv Turner have been able to do multiple things. Yeah. And Adrian is just a one-trick pony. He's really good at the one trick, but that's about it. Yeah, he's the best pony at that trick right now. Absolutely, in, in the, the NFL. NFL. That's why he leads the, the NFL in running yards. Uh, even though he's had games where he's had 45 yards, 18 yards, he's still leading the NFL. Mm-hmm. The not-so, let's pivot and talk about then Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater was called out as scared. 
by the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, what do you think about that? Well, Teddy even said it was a little embarrassing. And the, it should be embarrassing. Brian Murphy, our friend of the Pioneer Press, had a great line. He can turn a phrase like nobody else uh, in this market, in my opinion. And he had a good line where basically he wrote on a column about Teddy Bridgewater saying that the unflappable Teddy Bridgewater and the comments you hear from teammates make you think that he sleeps in a cryogenic chamber, but Irvin's comments drew cold or ice ice water something like that because okay. the ice water in his veins okay it, it makes perfect sense because you hear this how he how he's just always poised and teddy bridgewater never gets phased he looks scared right now yeah. he does and and that's just coming from and, and nobody said that internally or publicly with the vikings but when you see him out there behind this line and undoubtedly so he's getting pressure there are times where there are just free runners coming off the edge they're blowing protections and so any quarterback, in my opinion, who is this young would look scared sure. behind this line. So that's understandable. But it's also, in my opinion, has to do with the fact that they're asking him to do a lot of different things right now in this offense. I, I decided out of the last game, uh, because it was he dropped back 33 times, I decided to chart every drop back he had and how it differed. And now, yes, you want to give different looks. You need to be unpredictable. I get that. But there were times where Teddy Bridgewater on his passing plays was going from gun, three-step drop, five-step drop to seven-step drop to back to five to the gun, back to the gun, back to a three, back to a seven. What? Like, (laughs) I mean, I I get it. Like, you want to be unpredictable. You want to do a bunch of different things. But you have a 23-year-old quarterback who has not looked comfortable in what you're doing, and yet you're not simplifying things, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem. It Mm -hmm. seems like instead they're trying to give so many different looks that it's it's a fake end around to Stefan Diggs to one play. It's a screen to Adrian on the next. And then it's a seven-step drop with 20-yard dig routes yeah. behind an offensive line that is facing a Seattle front that is one of the best in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The coaches do deserve some blame, regardless sure. of what you think of Adrian Peterson's comments. They deserve blame for the passing game, not yeah. necessarily for the, the running game. Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater has not been able to get into a rhythm at all. Uh, since probably the Detroit game when he had 317 yards or whatever it was. He has not been able to get into a rhythm because of this offensive line, because of a play calling, in my opinion, that has not got the ball out quickly enough. And Teddy deserves blame, too. And and it's it's, uh, sending it into a a tailspin where you have play calling that's doing so many different things with Teddy Bridgewater, and then therefore Teddy doesn't look comfortable, so then he's making mistakes. Mm -hmm. He's overthrowing Stephon Diggs on an open post route, interception to Earl Thomas. 21 nothing at the half. 21, and then also the next play, Russell Wilson, touchdown, 21 nothing. Yeah. game's over. Everybody deserves blame here. Uh, Mike Wallace for not catching passes. TJ Clemmings for not blocking. And Norv Turner for not adjusting to what should be a quicker passing game and not letting go of what he wants it to be in a vertical passing game. This is just, it's not built for it right now. Let me ask you a question to compare this to my early college career before I started writing about sports. Um on the path that would eventually lead me to doing this podcast in this conference room with you, Andrew Kramer. So lucky. Who, you? Oh, no, I meant you. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just, we'll just move on. Um, the, the, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, let's say, let's say Norv Turner. No, Teddy Bridgewater and the Vikings offense. They are, they belong probably in an Algebra 2 or Geometry class right now and would be like reasonably successful in those classes enough so that they could graduate to whatever the next level of math is, is a pre-calculus side. Sounds like me. It's been too long. Belong in Algebra. Yeah. Been too long. So instead of teaching Geometry or Algebra 2 or whatever their math concept that they're supposed to be working on right now, North Turner is the aloof 
calculus four professor at who came from Oxford, who's now teaching at an area high school and is just just annoyed. Why don't you get it? Is just annoyed yep. that yep. these students don't get calculus when he hasn't even he hasn't shown the ability to adapt to teach them something else. The one example that constantly sticks in my mind too, Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson has the potential to be a star pupil, and I get it. So much of that's on him. He's not doing his homework. He sleeps through lectures, and he's not. Uh, he's learning also to a one-trick pony. Absolutely. Yeah. Maximize that trick. Yeah, and they're doing that with Adrian. They're not the, doing that with Cordero. Yes, for yeah, the record, yeah. I'm I'm talking in metaphors here. I'm not saying Cordero Patterson actually sleeps through class like practices or anything like that. But in my analogy, where there's there are students and Norv is the professor. There is a student who could excel in one area, and instead of allowing him to excel, you They're refuse, throwing the calculus book at him. Refuse yeah. to use him and then tell the principal and the press that covers this school that that student can't do his homework. That's kind of on you as a professor to mold and adapt to become more of a, of a figure that can help your students along rather than just blame the students when they can't do what you expect them to be able to do. That's a good point, and that's what you really? saw Bill Musgrave do. I'm a little surprised you went with me on that metaphor. I thought I was going to get shot down for that. No, no, you're that's right. You're, you're right, and you hear Mike Zimmer talk about this all the time, and that's something that Zimmer has prided, uh, prided himself on in doing with his defense. And he talks about his, the, his dad, the late Bill Zimmer, about how one of the things he always took from his father, um, who passed away in August uh, during training camp, was he always took from him on how can I win with his team. Uh, yes, I have a scheme. Yes, I'm proud of the things I come up mm -hmm. with. But what do the players do well, and how can I yeah. mold them to that? That's what the best coaches do. That's what Bill Belichick does. That's what the guys who have long-term success do. They don't just rely on one star talent who can just be above and beyond the scheme. They look at the whole sum of the parts and say, how can I make these guys uh, together work toward their strengths and do what they need to do. And there's so many guys that aren't maximizing those strengths right I now. I don't necessarily see that on offense, yes. Sure, I yeah. don't, and I can imagine the conversations between Mike Zimmer and Norv Turner throughout this entire season have been a tug of war in terms of, look, this is what we do well, this is what we need to do. Well, no, this is what I want to do, this is what I've done for years, and this is what has worked. That has got to be a clash from both, and I'm sure Mike Zimmer as well, internally clashing with himself on, look, this is what I succeeded with in Cincinnati, but I have to scrap this because I have these pieces here. Yeah. That, that definitely is a point that is worth uh, discussing, especially because right now this offense is so inept, and they have pieces. Think about the entire offseason. The expectations were, oh, Kyle Rudolph, Mike Wallace, throw in Charles Johnson, Jarius Wright, Cordero, Adrian too Peterson. Many too many pieces. We're going to thrive <laughs> with duplicity and just having all these things and, and being able to uh, just do all the different things that we want to do. Well, right now the linchpin of any offense – in the offensive line is not there to do all those things. Yeah. And you need to concede and do what they need to do on this offense, which is more of a West coast. In my opinion, short throws, uh, test it downfield once in a while, but you are not going to free up the box by throwing deep balls that you're not connecting on. Right. It's just, it's, it's banging your head against a wall and hoping that you're going to make a crack in it. It's, just, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. And so right now they have an identity crisis in my opinion on offense because Adrian Peterson is the only one that can pace them. And when they fall behind their inherent philosophy is to get away from Adrian because they don't put him on the field and hurry up or passing downs. 
And then all of a sudden you're saying, Teddy, I know throughout the week you were handing the ball off every other play, but now we want you to drop back 20 straight times against the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean against a receiver, Mike Wallace, who can't get separation because you're benching my favorite target in Charles Johnson? Oh, okay. It, <laughs> wow. it just doesn't work out that way. It doesn't. And it looks like I'm, you know, it sounds like I'm lighting them on fire, but because I'm, I am. They're one of the worst offenses and one of the most lopsided groups in the NFL. And when they get behind, they've shown consistently now against Green Bay and Seattle that they can't come back. And the only times they've come back have been against the Detroit Lions early on when Mike Zimmer's defense just shut them down after they jumped out to a 14-3 lead. And they came back, obviously, against the Chicago Bears when Charles Johnson, speaking of, made a great catch to help set them up for that field goal. Mm-hmm. This is a group that I think has not identified their strengths, has not self-scouted well enough, and has not adjusted. And you heard it from Kyle Rudolph this week when he said, look, we need to be able to adjust in games, and they're not doing it. And I think there's a frustration not only from Adrian Peterson, but from the other pieces in this passing offense. I talked to Charles Johnson this week, and I said, would you be willing to talk about your season and, and the kind of the ups and downs? Like, look, he came off the best stretch of his young career at the end of last year yep. and thought he was going to be a starter and obviously got benched for Stephon Diggs, which rightfully so. But those two need to be starting and not Mike Wallace. I asked Charles, I said, do you want to talk about those ups and downs? He said, no, I will probably say something stupid. He's he's not happy. Right. These guys are not happy with what's going on, and, and rightfully so. And so to stop beating a dead horse, because I know you love cliches, Derek, I think we've addressed that one before on the podcast. We probably have. I think. But I, you know what? I'm I'm one of those people like like Norv. I'm not going to back down from the. <laughs> I'm not going to back down from the cliches. I'm not backing down. Uh, maybe I was di- doing discussing that one on a different podcast because Phil Mackey likes to say beating a dead horse, and I just think that's disgusting. <laughs> I wonder where it comes from. Like, yeah, where did the imagine, where did the first instance of I that? I can't come imagine from? anyone beating a living horse, and then so to yeah, take that horse. one step further, then you like was somebody trying to kill the horse, and then they possible. killed it, but then they kept beating well, it. Like, I, just I don't, don't get think it. You would look at your buddy and say like, "Oh, hey, look, a dead horse," and either one of your actions would be like, "Oh, let's whip it." <laughs> like I. That just, it's so far removed from reality. does it come reality. from, like, horse racing where, like, you obviously hit the horse to get it to go, but then if it's dead, it's not going to go anywhere, so then oh, maybe why hit like, it? Or maybe dead, in this case, is, like, a figure of speech. Like, he's so tired oh, on the backstretch. Oh, there you go. You go See, I whip. don't spend any time at Canterbury, so I wouldn't know. I, when I'm at Canterbury, I'm not watching the ponies. But yeah, I would say that maybe that is the case, that, well, it's, quote-unquote, dead on the backstretch, and then no point in going to the whip because... Why beat a dead horse? Boom. Drop the, mu- <laughs> Drop the pen, the mic. We got it. We're just doing a public service here at the Purple Podcast. That's the way I you like to think of folks in the audience myself. of iTunes, SoundCloud, and Podcast One, we, we thank you for taking in the life lessons that we're bestowing. <laughs> Before we get to the picks for this Vikings-Arizona game on Thursday night. Where are we Derek, at? Where are we at with Captain Munnellin? This is going to be a short, quick one, but Captain Munnellin is a guy who's really come into his own in this second season in Minnesota. He's doing everything they ask him to do. In my opinion, he's going to be the future and long-term slot cornerback for this Minnesota Vikings really? team. He should be, and I think when his contract, it, obviously he could fall apart, crumble, and not be the player they think he is, but this year, what he has shown in his seventh season in the NFL is what he showed in Carolina. Yeah. He has the playmaking ability. He picked off, obviously, Matt Ryan. He's been playing great slot corner coverage. This is going to be a tough one, though, on Thursday night when he faces Larry Fitzgerald, who I believe is 6'3", I, I believe. 6'3 or 6'4", yeah. He's a He's a tall dude. dude. He's going to be the tallest slot receiver they've faced all season. Now, yes, he's faced Calvin Johnson the slot before and Julio Jones because they do move those guys inside. But Larry basically catches all of his passes out of the slot. This is going to be a tough one for captain, and it's not going to – and this is about expectations. Uh, 
if he gets torched on Thursday, don't throw your hands up and say they need to draft another corner. They have so many other issues on this team sure. that is not cornerback. Sure. Captain Munnellin is one of the best run defenders they have. He has actually helped them make up for the fact that they are weak at linebacker right now and thin at linebacker in terms of injuries that they've had. Mike Zimmer has been able to stick with their nickel personnel against the run at times because of Captain Munnellin, yeah. because of that extra guy in the box. He is one of the most physical small corners that you'll see in the NFL. And he's one of the most willing to stick his nose into it. Uh, I saw a play actually recently. It, was, it must have been the Jets-Giants game where um, Dominic Rogers cromarty old guy, uh, old, but he's a bigger corner, and he should be more physical. There was a play where, like, literally a Giants receiver caught a slant route, and he, like, pretended to hit him and then, like, kind of, like, rolled back and let a teammate kind of swoop in five yards downfield. Corners are like that, and Xavier Rhodes is like that until Mike Zimmer came and said, no, you need to you need to force your nose in there and make tackles. Sure. This is who we are. This is what you need to do. Captain naturally has that. And okay. I'm not saying he's Antoine Winfield, but he has that pit bull mentality, that, that, that kind of I'm going to go in there and hit him. And so they need that in this defense. Captain Munnellin's a guy who thought he could do his own thing last year, but he's really come into his own in terms of forcing fumbles, creating plays, playing tight man coverage. He's going to get beat downfield because of his size, um, but at the same time, he is deserving, in my opinion, of the contract that they gave him in free agency, just as Linval Joseph has shown he is when they signed those two in 2014. And he's entering a contract year next year because he only signed a three-year deal. And to me, he has shown that he is deserving of sticking around in Minnesota. But my point of bringing him up this week is that when you see Larry Fitzgerald probably catch two touchdowns on him on Thursday night, <laughs> yeah, well. I think you need to realize that that is going to be an anomaly for what this Vikings pass defense has done right. because that they're not going to face a slot receiver in Larry Fitzgerald every game, uh, probably only once a season. Well, I like what you brought up that they allow – he allows their nickel package. They they can basically stay out of base if they feel like they need to because they only have maybe one or two linebackers. And they that have they good trust. tackling corners. They have really good tackling corners across the board, not just Captain, but Terrence and Xavier as well. But that has allowed them to be more flexible. They can just keep two linebackers in there instead of saying, "Well, we got to play heavier personnel against right. the run." No, you Captain's capable of stopping. Quick question before we get to our picks, because uh, given their difficulties in, in terms of injuries at safety. You almost still have to bracket safeties over these receivers, right? Uh, and given you mentioned the height mismatch with Captain, maybe keep a safety there as as much as you can, paying attention to Fitzgerald, but it's almost pick your poison with this Cardinals offense. Uh, is that as daunting of a matchup as it seems to me on paper? It absolutely is, uh, especially because they might they might get Andrew Sandejo back. Sandejo practiced on Tuesday, um, but they've been without Robert Blanton. They've been without Harrison Smith. They put Anton Exum on injured reserve. So then all of a sudden they have to bring Sean Prater off the couch. Uh, then they have to bring in, obviously, promote uh, Anthony Harris, the undrafted kid who had been on the practice squad yeah. the entire year. These 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 kids are inexperienced. Obviously, Sean Prater knows the system, but there's a reason why the Vikings cut him in final cuts in September. He was with the team in training camp, but they let him go. Um this is going to be very, very, very difficult in terms of the back end, in yeah. terms of the safeties, and in terms of run support as well. Sure. Um, the Cardinals are banged up at running back. Chris Johnson's uh, obviously on IR. Um, Andre Ellington's banged up. So they have David Johnson only, but this Vikings team has had to be predicated on using safeties and run support because of how banged up their linebackers have been. Uh, I just don't see it this week either. It's going yeah. it's to it's hurt them both on the back end and defending Michael um Floyd, in terms of defending Floyd, Fitzgerald, John Brown, and in terms of stopping the run, they're going to be stressed on that interior. Not to mention that we haven't brought this up, 
but they're going to be starting most likely a rookie in Edmund Robinson, who they drafted in the seventh round at linebacker for Anthony Barr. Right. Who Anthony Barr is obviously their best player on defense and really makes them go in terms of the blitz packages. And so not only are they going to be starting a Eric Kendricks, who has had good moments, but he's struggled recently. Mm-hmm. They're going to put him next to Chad Greenway and then on the other side, Edmund Robinson, with possibly Prater and Sandejo or Prater and Harris yeah. or Harris and Sandejo, whatever combination they come up with on the back end, it could be a long day. Well, when's, just put it this way, when is the last time, if you were a Vikings fan, were you hoping and wishing against all hope that Andrew Sandejo could play the next week, that, that he would Are return they, to though, the field? Or is it more of a... Eh, whatever. We need is something. it apathy at this point? But I you're don't right. Think so. To your to your point, Anderson Dejo is the best option they have right now. That's healthy. Yeah, and assuming Harrison Smith he is by play. far the best run defender at safety if Harrison Smith is not available. Yep. Um it, it's just he gets burned nonstop in coverage. He yep. has zero ball skills. He can't play he can't play in coverage. And so that is not going to help them. Whether it's Prater might be an upgrade in terms of coverage, because he's a converted corner. Uh he can play both spots. Yeah, um, that's a tall task. Oh, no, it is. Bringing it these is. guys in at this juncture. It absolutely is. So, no, no matter which way we cut it, it is going to be a long, probably a long day against an MVP caliber quarterback in Carson Palmer. We can make our pick segment short then. Who you got? <sighs> Imagine if I just took the Vikings. It's <laughs> like, hey, after I just spent 40 right. minutes yeah. talking about how – no, it's, I it's expecting it. It's the Arizona Cardinals through and through. Um, I've I've been burned now. I thought the Vikings would beat the Packers. I picked the Vikings to beat the Seahawks. I'm not getting fooled this time, obviously. Yeah. The Vikings are depleted on defense. They're inept in a passing game. Uh, they're going to get behind early in this one probably, and it will test their resolve on how much do they listen to Adrian Peterson mm-hmm. because I have a feeling they will drop behind in this game, and I'm interested to see if they somehow stick with Adrian Peterson after sure. he complains. So, Because yes. remember now, the first time he complained against Green Bay, they gave him 29 carries against Atlanta, but they led wire to wire in that yeah, game. And he scored two touchdowns and went off for like 100 Fifty-eight yards. yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but they led in that game, so they could do that. Sure. They're not going to lead in this game, in my opinion, pretty quickly. So I got the Arizona Cardinals winning something like thirty to ten. It's mm. it's not going to be close. Yeah. Fool me once, shame on me. Uh, can't fool me again. I'm taking the Cardinals. Wow, we agree. So the Vikings then are going to win probably on Thursday night. <laughs> That's what that means. Yeah. Since we just agreed and hell froze over. All right, that's about all we got for the Purple Podcast, unless Derek Wetmore has anything else to add. I've, I think I've dumped all the wisdom out. I've wrung out, wrung out all the uh, <laughs> hot football takes from my rag this week, and uh, we'll, we'll do it again next week. All right, guys, I want to thank you for checking out the Purple Podcast. Please check back to 1500 ESPN, and don't forget to download the Podcast One app. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged or Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players. That is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point the finger, we go back to work, 
Back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.